This episode is brought to you by Sports Crate, the exclusive subscription crate of Major League Baseball. Have you ever wanted to throw out the first pitch, meet your favorite all-star, get exclusive collectibles and authentic apparel that you can't get anywhere else? Now's your chance with Sports Crate. Starting at $40 per month, Sports Crate delivers exclusive gear and once-in-a-lifetime experiences for your favorite MLB team. Join now at sportscrate.com. Subscriptions are limited. Welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh, and I'm a writer for TheRinger.com. And on the other line, fellow writer for The Ringer, Michael Bauman. I am Jason Concepcion. <laughs> Wrong podcast. We're talking about video games today. Yes, we are. I'm doing a, a little crossover on my Ringer podcast this week. So on my other show, Achievement Oriented, later this week, we're going to have Trevor May, the Twins pitcher, on to talk about video games mostly, but a little bit of baseball. And on this show, we are talking to Ramon Russell, who is the community manager and game designer who is responsible for MLB The Show 17, which comes out tomorrow for PlayStation 4. So I'm going to talk to him about the development of that game and how it's gotten smarter in some ways. It's interesting stuff, even if you are not a video game person. Before then, we're just going to talk some baseball. We're almost at opening day. This is our last show before opening day, right? Or is it- I don't know. Time is an arbitrary construct anyway. <laughs> opening day is fast approaching. Let's leave it at <laughs> it's that. It's out there somewhere. <laughs> and so we're going to do a, a little preview in the form of prop bets, which you have come up with. This could be your best work since what did Jerry DePoto do? Oh, well, this is certainly it involves less accordion than uh, <laughs> unless you want. We could go back at the end of the season. I could do a, an obnoxious accordion hit. <laughs> for every one of these uh, you get wrong. Yeah, less accordion, but more math. So you yeah. have tipped me off. You've sent me the questions and I've looked them over. And this is going to be online. We're going to put all of the things that we're about to read and respond to on theringer.com. So if you go to the site, you can see the blog post. You can follow along. Michael and I will tweet it too. And you can enter your own responses. And at the end of the year, we'll see who was the best and we'll come up with some sort of lame price. I don't know what it'll be, but it'll be something. This is mostly for bragging rights, but we'll come up with something physical to give you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Some <laughs> tangible reward for it. <laughs> yeah. All right. So so there are 20 of these. I figure we got about 20 minutes. I'll take, mm-hmm. we'll try to take about a minute of question. I think we will at least mention all 30 teams. Uh, which, <laughs> okay. And the ones that we care less about, or, or at least that I care less about, are down at the bottom. So if right. we run out of time, at least nobody will give a crap. Okay. All right. First one, which will be greater in 2017, Gary Sanchez's OPS times 1,000 or Michael Fulmer's innings pitch total times five? So OPS times 1,000. If he has 1,000 OPS, that's 1,000, not 1.000. Right. Okay. So last year, Fulmer had 159 innings pitched plus 15 in the minors, and Sanchez had a 1,030-something OPS, and he has a 1,030-something OPS again in spring training this year. But I'm going to go with Fulmer, I think, because I could see Fulmer getting 180 or more. And if he gets close to that, it would be 
difficult for Sanchez. He'd have to have over a 900 OPS. And obviously he did that easily last year, but no other catcher came close to doing that. And nothing in his minor league track record would really suggest that he is going to do that regularly. I think he'll be a a very good hitter and a very valuable player, but not sure I quite buy him being a superstar offensively, at least. So I'm going with Fulmer here. Yeah. And the other complicating factor is Fulmer, just by virtue of being a pitcher, could tweak his elbow or get Tommy John. So like, I think that keeps it interesting. But yeah, this is Mm -hmm. sort of the the AL Rookie of the Year debate from last year. Was this actually Gary Sanchez or was this just like the best month of Gary Sanchez's life? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Moving on. Number two, Christian Betancourt, former podcast guest, Christian Betancourt Mm -hmm. over under 17 relief appearances. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with over on this one. So this spring, he has actually thrown more innings than he has had at bats. He's thrown seven and a third innings in seven games with a 245 ERA, but he has four walks and two strikeouts in those games, which is not particularly encouraging. But the way they're handling him, and maybe it's just because they want him to get more practice as a pitcher, but they are using him primarily as a pitcher. And I'm guessing if they've gone through all this trouble, they're going to give him a shot. And they are the Padres, although they have a pretty decent bullpen. So I'm going to say he gets a long enough leash that he goes over 17 appearances. Okay. I'd take the under. I just, there are so many things that can go wrong and 17 is, and it's not like a ton, but that's still a lot of relief appearances for someone who's nominally a position player. Yeah. I mean, I'm rooting for him to do the two-way player thing, but it's going to be tough because he has to just find that sweet spot where he's like not a very good relief pitcher. Because if he's a really good shutdown reliever, they're not going to want to use him behind the plate all that much. So He has to be just good enough to pitch, but not so good that you'd be worried about having him catch. So I don't know if it'll happen, but okay. All right. Who will post the higher baseball reference war in 2017? Brian Dozier or the highest of Byron Buxton, Miguel Sano and Max Kepler. So Dozier Mm -hmm. or one of the the three young position players. I'm going to go with another former Ringer MLB show guest here and stick with Dozier, although I just wrote an article about I was going to say, his you just wrote about Buxton. This could have been... Breakout potential. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Buxton is he doesn't really have to hit that well to be good because of his base running and his defense, and presumably he's going to be in the majors all year if he's not completely terrible. So I'm tempted, but I'm going to go with the guy who's actually done it and has done it recently. Yeah, I think the only way... Dozier doesn't uh, beat out those three guys is Buxton has the potential to put up one of those freak outlier, like four defensive win, yes. Andrew and Simmons, Kevin Kiermaier seasons. I think if, right. if that happens, that's how it's going to happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Number four, which is more likely the Dodgers, Cubs, Indians, and Red Sox all win their divisions or both AL wildcard teams come from the West. Yeah. So I think both these things are going to happen. But. <laughs> yeah. I just looked at the Fangraphs playoff odds. And if you go by that, I think there's only like a 35% chance that all four of those teams win their divisions, which is lower probably than I would have said just going by gut. And I'd go higher than that probably, if only because those are teams that will probably be making upgrades midseason and they'll get better as they go. So it's almost impossible to imagine an AL Central team winning a wild card. Like, I guess you could sort of see the Tigers doing it possibly, but it's kind of hard. So the AL West thing is tempting, but I think the Blue Jays are good enough 
to make this interesting or the Orioles or just the AL East collectively that I'm going to say I'm going with all four teams to win their divisions instead of both wildcard teams coming from the West. I think the, the Fangraph says it has as high a chance of happening as 35% is instructive because I would have expected mm-hmm. a projection system to just sort of to pay credence to the idea that just something crazy can happen. So I yeah. would go with the the division winners. Mm-hmm. All right, next one. Madison Bumgarner batting average times a thousand plus Joe Panic runs scored will be greater or less than Joe Panic's batting average times a thousand. It's maybe hard to do math as you right. listen to it, but <laughs> just think it think of the batting average as a, a three digit number instead of a decimal. So if Bumgarner right. gets two ten, that's two hundred and ten plus sixty runs scored for Panic. That's mm-hmm. yeah. That's the math. Yeah. And Bumgarner's what a 183 career hitter, yeah. something like that. He's and he's been better. Twice. Yeah. Right. He's been quite a bit better than that fairly recently. But I'm going to say I wouldn't expect him to be anything more than, say, a 200 hitter. I mean, he could easily exceed that. It's always small sample and everything. So I'd say if he's something like a 200 hitter, give Panic 70 runs scored or something in that range. I think Panic has a higher batting average times a thousand. He was a 300 hitter in his first two seasons. He had some bad BABIP luck last year. I say he gets high enough to win this thing. I agree. I think that barring another outlier season for Bumgarner, I think I think Panic takes it. Okay, mm-hmm. number six. This one is very specific to the two of us. Uh, Brandon <laughs> Geyer weighted runs created plus versus left-handed pitchers will be greater than or less than Norichika Aoki's weighted runs created plus versus right-handed pitchers. Yes. So Aoki's my guy for reasons surpassing understanding, but Geyer is really good against lefties, right? I'm, I got to go with your guy, Geyer, yeah. I think. <laughs> he's coming off a crazy season versus lefties, right? And he's mm-hmm. been good against them before. So, yep, he takes it. All right. Mike Trout has led the American League in baseball reference war and finished no worse than second in MVP voting in each of his five full seasons. Will that continue? And I will say the question part of this is way less interesting than the first half of the sentence. I I just stumbled (laughs) up. Like, I didn't realize that he had literally never finished lower than second. Yeah, it's amazing, especially with some of the teams that he's played for. So. The thing is that to pick Trout confidently over the field, over an entire league, you have to think he's way better true talent wise than everyone else. Because if some players were close, you'd expect just random variation or war measuring defense strangely in a small sample or whatever that someone would come close. But if you look at the projection systems, he is two full wins above anyone else Mm -hmm. in the American League because he's been that good and he could easily lose it while still being great or even still being the best player given the, the fluctuations in war that don't necessarily reflect your talent. He's come close to being surpassed a couple times by about half a win or so. He edged out Donaldson and Kluber, I think, in some past seasons. But I think I'm going to go with the field over Trout. And I might have gone with the field over Trout in the last, I don't know, three, four years and been wrong every time. But I think I've got to do it. There are just so many good young players 
there's the possibility that he pulls a muscle or something and then he's out of the running, even if he's still great. And you're counting on 30 BBWAA voters and what they're going to decide, which but who knows? They surprised us last year. They did. Yeah. And I don't know whether that was just those 30 people who happened to have a vote or whether it was representative of a larger change in the electorate or not. But there's just so many good baseball players. It's like Lindor, Donaldson, Correa, Machado, Betts, Cano. Can Mike Trout be better than all of them every year? It just boggles the mind. So I'm going with the field. Sorry, Mike Trout. You're still the best. Give me Trout. I decided before you started answering that question that I was going to pick whichever side you didn't pick. (laughs) Okay. All right. Will at least one of the Phillies, Braves, or Marlins finish over 500 this year? No. (laughs) I just, I don't see it. I know that the Braves have signed some veterans and they seem to be trying to be respectable. And I don't think the Phillies are there yet. I think they're all... 70 something win teams and a 70 something win team can get lucky and be a 82 win team but i just don't see it happening okay i yeah i think the the phillies and braves both have the potential for like that surprise 2015 astros season but i don't yeah. i don't think it's likely mm-hmm. okay who will have more wins the combination of max scherzer clayton kershaw Corey kluber and chris sale were the Cincinnati Reds. <laughs> okay, so these four guys had 67 combined wins last year. I think the Reds are projected for 69 wins at Fangraphs this year, so it's close. I'm going to go with the Reds. I think there's just so much downside risk with the pitchers, you know, just one of those guys has an injury and it's over. So yeah. I think I'm going to go with the Reds who are bad at baseball, but there's a limit to how bad you can be at baseball and there's not a limit to how hurt you can be as a pitcher. Yeah. And even even if all of them win 15 games, which is you know, yeah. not at all unlikely, I would say it's likely it's not all four of them win more than 15 games. That's only 60 wins. So, mm-hmm. all right. Number 10, will we see a 20 inning game in 2017? So for context, there's been at least one 19 inning game every year since 2010, but the last 20 inning game was in 2013. Yeah, I guess I'm going to go with no. This is kind of just a coin flip sort of thing. Last year actually was tied for the lowest percentage of games going to extra innings of the 30 team era. I don't know whether that means anything. Maybe. I can't believe you did research for this question. <laughs> I'm actually stealing some research okay. from Rob Maines of Baseball Perspectives who already you, you looked into that. <laughs> to steal someone else's research for this question. <laughs> for this question, I couldn't possibly answer with any kind of skill. Yeah, I'm going to say no, no 20 inning game. There's there's so much pressure to keep games short and teams are using position players all the time to get out of these long games now. So I'm going to say no. All right. I think we're due. I'll take a 20. OK. Game. All right. This is a a very Jerry DePoto related question. Mm-hmm. Which combination of players will have the higher baseball reference war? Taiwan Walker and Cattell Marte or Gene Segura and Mitch Haniger? I'm going with the position players. Segura Haniger. I kind of I know we're not supposed to look that hard in the in the spring training stats, but mm-hmm. Walker's been good and and Mar- yeah. Marte hasn't like he hasn't been. There's no way he's going to be as bad as he was last year. So mm-hmm. give me the the Arizona guys. All right, yeah, I've been waiting for the big Walker year. I thought we were getting it a couple of years ago, but it didn't quite come together. But yeah, I'm going with the Mariners side. Okay, all right. This is a, a has some college baseball <laughs> yes. woven into it. Jake Berger of Missouri State has nine home runs in his first 22 games. Missouri State will probably play somewhere around 60 games this season, assuming they make the NCAA tournament. So will Berger end the season leading all Missouri-based third baseman in home runs? <laughs> 
Yeah, so we're talking Berger versus Johnny Peralta and Mike Moustakis, something like that. I something don't know. Are there... Whoever the, the – I'm actually not sure who the card – like who's going to get most yeah. of the playing time at third for the Cardinals. I didn't do any research into minor league teams to see if there's uh, anyone. Let's if, just – yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll forget yeah. that. So uh, Berger, I looked up at Baseball America, hit 21 last season and was like a swing changer guy. He was like a elevator fly ball type. Doug Latta, our former guest, would be proud. So if he's a 20-plus homer guy, I could see Moustakis getting there, but I'm going to go with Berger. Okay. I'll go with the pros. I think, like, something happens, like Carpenter moves back over there, and... Mm -hmm. That could happen. And there's a possibility for a power outage. Like, Mm -hmm. Seth Beer only has six home runs at this point, so I'll take the the pro guys. Okay. Will Chris Archer still be on the Rays on New Year's Day 2018? Yeah, I mean, there's been so much trade buzz around him for a while now, but I'm going to say yes, he will, because it seems like the Rays really value him highly. They rejected an offer from the Astros reportedly in January that was like their three top prospects who were all top 50 overall guys plus two other guys, and they still didn't take it. And he was coming off a down year at the time. So if he has a decent year this year, he'll have a maximum of four years and 34 million remaining on his that deal, including options. so it's, bad for him. It's, yeah, I mean, for, for the Rays, it's great. And they won't part with that easily. So they might trade him eventually, but I'm going to say it doesn't happen by New Year's Day 2018. Yeah, I, the, originally this was going to be somewhere around the deadline was going to be the over-under, but there's mm-hmm. no way that he gets traded during the season certainly so yeah if he bounces back it's then the Rays are just going to hang on to him and if he doesn't then the market's going to collapse and they're not going to sell low so Mm -hmm. this one i like because of how many moving parts it has (laughs) will will euron Greyjoy still be alive when andrew mccutcheon plays his last game for the pirates and this season (laughs) of game of thrones runs from july 16th to august 27th yeah well i don't want to get into too many game of thrones spoilers not that i can really spoil it because we're beyond the books now so Without saying too much, I think he is going to be too pivotal a character to be dead that quickly, although Game of Thrones certainly has not made death very predictable in the past. But trade deadline is going to come, what, three episodes into the season? And it's a short season, but still, I'm going to say he lives. Okay, I'm going to say no. I think he buys it this season. And I think mm-hmm. McCutcheon lasts the the full year in Pittsburgh. Okay. The next part of that question is, will Jamie Lannister still be alive when Andrew <laughs> McCutcheon plays his last game for the Pirates? I think he will. He's He's been with us too long, and there aren't that many pieces left on the board at this point. So I think he makes it. Okay. I don't know. I think there's a possibility he dies like for <laughs> some big emotional redemption, but mm-hmm. I think it'll come in season eight. I don't think it'll, it'll happen yeah, this year. Yeah, we could get more into the weeds, but we'll yeah, spoil well, everything. So. <laughs> I mean, Let's we could, on. and also Mal would kill us for combining <laughs> baseball and Game of Thrones and not inviting her, so. Yes, that is true. All right, so I'm going to give you two groups of five shortstops, and you're going to tell me which group will produce more war in 2017. Okay. So the first is Corey Seager, Francisco Lindor, Trey Turner, Tim Anderson, and J.P. Crawford. And the other one is Carlos Correa, Dansby Swanson, Addison Russell, Xander Bogarts, and Trevor Story. So just eyeballing it before, I liked the second group by a hair. And then I looked up their projections. They are projected for one win more than the first group also. So I'm going to go with the gut. I just eyeballed it. I didn't. (laughs) Yeah, it's very close. So I'm going to go with the gut and the stats and say 
the second group just because there's some uncertainty with what Tim Anderson is and when JP Crawford will be around and what he'll do. So I'm going to go with the slightly more established group, although it's hard to pass up that Seeger Lindor combo. Right. I I think the first group has the two best players and maybe three of the top four, depending on how you feel about Turner. But yeah, Mm -hmm. Anderson and Crawford have a significant chance at zeroing out in Mm -hmm. a way that maybe story does, but Mm -hmm. if he stays healthy, he'll be at least worth something. I don't know. Give me the first one. I'll, I'll live dangerously. I'll, I'll bet a little bit on Anderson and Crawford. All right. So which will be greater in 2017, Josh Donaldson's home runs or Justin smokes RBI. (laughs) Yeah. So Donaldson won this last year, 37 to 34. And I would have said, oh, obviously Smoke, he got an extension. He was supposed to start, but he's been very bad so in spring bad. trading. Yeah. And Steve Pierce, I think, is stealing some of his playing time. So I'm not sure if he's going to be benched or what. So certainly possible that this could go the other way. The Blue Jays offense could be a little bit worse. Smoke might get fewer RBI opportunities, but still, man, it's RBIs are so much more common than home runs that it's really hard to go with the latter over the former. So I'm going to go with Smoke. I'm going to say he gets enough rope just because they made a commitment to him. Right. I think particularly with Encarnacion gone, he's going to play a disconcerting amount at first base (laughs) in DH. Yeah. All right. Number 17, Colorado Rockies. This is just straight up riff from Vegas because I have no idea what to make of this team. Colorado Mm -hmm. Rockies over under 80 and a half wins. Yeah, I I might have said over at the beginning of the spring, but they have suffered some injuries, Desmond and Bettis and Murphy. And so I think I'm saying under now. There's been a lot of optimism about them. They've been a popular sleeper or surprise team. I don't even know if they could qualify as a surprise team anymore after that many people have picked them to be one. But I'm going to say slightly under. Yeah, I think I'm going to go under too. And I think it's close enough that Desmond, you know, missing that, but like five weeks of Desmond might. Yeah might swing it okay this mm-hmm. one is pointedly based on last year's al wildcard game zach Britton mm-hmm. over under one and a half appearances before the eighth inning zero in 2016 yeah zero so it's the same Britain, same buck pretty much the same bullpen the question is 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 show walter going to react to last year's decision and overcompensate by bringing him in early and i'm gonna say no yeah. i'm gonna say he sticks to the same usage. Not. <laughs> definitely not <laughs> Okay, number 19, more televised home runs in 2017 by San Diego Padres catchers. One, Austin Hedges, or two, the combination of Mike Lawson and Levon Duarte. (laughs) I really, really hope it's Lawson and Duarte because that would mean that Pitch got a second season, which we are still waiting to find out. And we know Duarte is some sort of phenom. We know he's got power. But Hedges had the offensive breakout of sorts last year. I know it was El Paso in AAA. (laughs) Yeah, so I don't know how much to make of that. But he did hit 21 home runs. So given the strong possibility that Lawson and Duarte will hit no home runs, (laughs) I think I'm going to go with Hedges. But I'm I'm rooting for the fake Padres. Yeah, give me the fake Padres. I, (laughs) I think it's more likely that pitch comes back then hedges learns how to hit big league pitching <laughs> okay um, so if pitch does come back somebody out there write down how you know keep track of the, yes. the lawson and duarte home runs <laughs> all right the last one jonathan vr over under 2.4 baseball reference war which is the midpoint between 
2016 and its previous career high. I'm going to go over. Obviously, he was really good last year. I'm not sure he'd be that good again, but a lot of his low war totals in prior years were just lack of playing time, and that shouldn't be an issue this season. So I'm going to say one way or another, he gets over 2.4. Okay, I'm I'm going to take the under. I think there's a non-trivial possibility that, that he craters after mm-hmm. just this one good year. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was not paying attention to which ones we picked. So <laughs> no, neither was I. Yeah, all right, <laughs> <laughs> there's a record. Yeah. This will live on on the internet. So you can all go take this quiz yourself and probably beat us at it at theringer.com, and we will tweet the links also. And we'll be right back with Ramon Russell to talk about MLB The Show 17. Today's episode is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest and easiest way to get tickets to every MLB game. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing the best plays of the year in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek app is by far the easiest way I know of to shop for tickets. You can be anywhere. With just a few taps, you can instantly find seats. Opening day is so close, and after waiting this long for baseball, you'll want to get to the ballpark as soon as possible. Possible, you can use SeatGeek to do that. And SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. This is as good a deal for you as Chris Archer's contract is for the Rays. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And it doesn't end with sports because SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available too. Best of all, our listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get that $20 rebate, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code and enter the promo code RINGERMLB. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. So download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB. That's all one word today. I also want to remind you about MeUndies, a company that helps you elevate your underwear game to the next level, just like Josh Donaldson elevated his swing. You've perfected your wardrobe. You'll have to tell me how to do that sometime. But what about the stuff not everybody gets to see? If you've been settling for store-bought underwear five packs, I have something that will change your life for the better. MeUndies. What's the first thing you put on, hopefully, and the last thing you take off? Your underwear. So make your most important piece of clothing the best it can be with MeUndies. MeUndies makes seriously soft, feel-good undies delivered right to your door. Designed in LA and made from sustainable sustainably sourced micro-modal, a fabric that's three times softer than cotton. MeUndies Softer Than Soft Luxe Undies come in an ever-changing selection of classic colors, bold shades, and adventurous patterns, so you can tailor your undies to your own personal style. And you can save time and money each month by opting for a monthly subscription. You don't have to do that, you can save regardless, because MeUndies is offering you 20% off your first pair when you use our special URL, MeUndies.com slash MLB show. So go ahead, revamp your underwear drawer, you deserve it. Once again, that's MeUndies.com slash MLB MLB show for 20% off your first pair. MeUndies.com slash MLB show. All right, it's time to talk about the show. So we are joined now by community manager and game designer at Sony Interactive Entertainment America, Ramon Russell. Hi, Ramon. 
Hey, how you doing? So I'm always curious with iterative sports games that have to release a new edition by a certain date every year. How do you plan these things? What's the roadmap look like? And how many years in the future are you looking at one time? And are you saying, okay, we can cram these features into this game, but that one's going to have to wait for the show 2019 or 2020? Yeah, that that, that kind of happens. Um, you know, it depends on the the specific team. You know, um, as a group, you know, we'll have pre-production like in April and May, and you know, we'll always look back at the last release, see what works, see what didn't, and then we'll move on from there. Other teams have a two or three year process. Like our graphics team, they always work on two, three, and like four year plans. So say, mm-hmm. okay, like I think this is our fourth or fifth year on PlayStation Four. You know, the first year, obviously, we can't do everything. So we prioritize, hey, let's rebuild all the stadiums to get those looking fantastic for PlayStation 4. Second year was, you know, let's update the lighting model to include seasonal sun and shadows. You know, the third year was PBR. You know, this year is, okay, let's focus on the players and the faces and create a player. And so, like, graphics, they'll have their processes. The gameplay team, they kind of we kind of work the same way, but our iterations are more yearly-based. Like, okay, what do we need to do gameplay-wise? to take the game to the next level. Uh, what is the game lacking? For instance, this year, we looked at areas that we were lacking at, like, you know, throw urgency and the computer always knowing where the ball is going to be hit and then hit variety. So it all depends on the portion of the game. But yeah, we definitely have two and three year plans. So just to piggyback off of that, how much of the game is new every year and how much do you hold over from what worked in previous years? Well, we literally pick up from where we left off. <laughs> like we really, literally mm-hmm. opened the code back up from the last patch uh, that we released for, for last year's game. And that's where we start. And for the first few months, uh, the game doesn't look or function very much at all because we're still working on design. And, and that's how we go about that process. So it seems like you are kind of embracing hyper-realism in some ways, but then also adding a new retro mode, which is a, a much more simplistic way to play. And you have new ball physics and new player AI. And I'd imagine that making a baseball game more realistic involves, I guess, improving your AI, but also making it dumber at the same time, right? Because it seems like there are certain ways in which it's less realistic if the players can anticipate everything because it's not lifelike. So in some ways, you you must have to make players smarter, but also have to take away that advanced knowledge in other areas. Yeah, that's true. I mean, actually, you know, by making them more lifelike, you know, we kind of are making them smarter because they're performing like they would if they were a real human. And that was something and something that we, we've all, we're always trying to do. Uh, as far as making the game as realistic as possible, we pride ourselves on an authentic simulation experience, but we're always very mindful of fun. You know, you, we have to find the fun in things. Uh, if it's not fun, it's kind of not worth doing it. Nobody wants to play a super hyper-realistic game that's not fun. <laughs> so it's always that balance. So that's where, like, retro mode comes in. You know, it's an old-school-style game. One button press, X does everything, X the pitch, X the hit. You know, pitchers only have four pitches, fastball, changeup, and a slider. That's not realistic. Clayton Kershaw has a, has a curveball. But back in those old-school video games, you didn't have to worry about up and down. It was left and right. And so that's why we did that. And on the flip side, for realism, you know, we really wanted to work on our eyes and the faces, skin tones. And now we have the best ball physics of any baseball game ever made. And so those things are fun because it makes the game look better and it makes the game play better. So it's always a mix and match of 
how much realism can we add and how much fun can we add on top of that? Right. And different game modes, I imagine, has like the problem with a game like this is you're trying to appeal to hardcore baseball fans who would either be playing this or like a simulation like out of the park, as well as casual gamers, casual baseball fans. So are different modes a way to sort of appeal to those things without just making one game all things to all people? Well, I mean, we're definitely trying to make, you know, one game that's everything for all people. Um, we obviously, I think we'll always kind of fall, fall short of that goal because we, we just can't do it. We don't have the resources. Maybe if we had like a five-year development cycle, we could make the perfect game for everybody. Uh, but it's always, it's never something that we take lightly. Those decisions aren't made on the fly. We do a ton of telemetry tracking like all video games do. We, don't, uh, we do a ton of market research like all games do. And we talk to our community a lot. So we'll take those three factors will weigh them in and then that's basically what drives the decisions that we'll make um you know roll through the show and pave your path and making these decisions off the field that's what our fans wanted so we're taking care of those guys you know our diamond dynasty mode is the second most played mode in the game that was not the case three years ago so we throw we threw a lot of resources into diamond dynasty this year to make it dynamic and so all of our decisions are, are would never be made in a funnel it's always going to be we're looking at the telemetry data, looking at how people are playing the game. We're looking at the market research, and we're also listening to our hardcore community to see what they like and if those things will resonate with the greater good of the community and to bring in newcomers. Because one thing that we've noticed the past few years is we've, we've brought in so many new people, and we always have to be mindful to make sure we're taking care of those guys as well. And can you summarize some of the ways in which players or AI behave in ways that would kind of make someone perk up? Well, definitely um, not knowing where the ball is going to land after it, it ricochets off the wall. Uh-huh. In previous versions of the show, the computer AI defenders would always stand exactly where the ball was going <laughs> to bounce off the wall. And as soon as right. you notice, you're like, okay, so they're psychic. So that's gone now. <laughs> so now you'll see more, more, you'll see more variety there. They won't, they won't know exactly where the ball is going to land. So that would be a definite example where you'd see that. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, you know, making this realistic, how much baseball do you and the other designers watch? How much do you research the game itself as it's played right now to try to get that realism into the game? Oh, quite a bit. We go to a ton of games a year. I probably myself go to about 40 games a year. Baseball's always on in our studio. And during the playoffs, like we're always designing a game, we'll be having meetings and baseball will be in, in the background. So we're inundated with baseball 24-7. So do you ever get tired of it? I guess is the obvious <laughs> follow-up question. Oh, I wouldn't say tired. We get fatigued a little. I mean, every, everybody gets fatigued after a while, but we'll normally take a break few weeks after the game comes out to get refreshed and then we're excited and ready to go again. And when it comes to making body types and faces look more like their real life analogs, I assume that part of that is a technical challenge in the graphics and the modeling, but a lot of it just has to be research, right? Just looking at these guys and saying, this is the equipment he uses. This is how he wears his pants. He uses eye black or doesn't. How do you collect all of that information? Uh, we we just watch film. <laughs> we watch uh-huh. tons of film from MLB.com. That's literally how we just find out what guys wear. We'll look at uh-huh. like the last month of the season and playoffs. Say, oh, okay, so so and so is wearing a white compression sleeve now, and Anthony Rizzo doesn't wear shades. So let's not make sure he doesn't wear shades. And we'll also use that reference for things like create a player. Like what are the popular hairstyles 
these days because you know we added all these new hairstyles so we looked at the popular hairstyles we also said let's add some of these old school hairstyles too because we think that'll be cool as well so how do you go about making those those faces realistic because it, it just seems like such a, a tremendous design challenge to create a realistic looking human being without you know getting into that uncanny valley zone well, that's that's a testament to the face scan technology and our character team and our graphics programmers. Um, we scan the players at spring training every year, and we'll get those files, and they don't necessarily work in the game as is. And so our character team basically takes that file and basically hand edits it till it's something that can be used in the game. And then with the investments we've made this year with like our new eyeballs, new skin tone, the lighting getting better, having more depth in the colors, that's what allowed our game to look so realistic this year when it comes to player faces and eyes. And it seems almost as if you're dealing with some of the same challenges that Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred are. You've added a couple of modes in this year's game called critical situations and player lock that essentially let you cut to the chase, play the most exciting moments and skip the rest of the game or, or not have to play every character, just focus on one player and play him throughout a whole season. So it seems like Rob Manfred must be envious that you can just do that in your code and you can make a mode that is like baseball, but kind of cutting to the the most adrenaline-packed moments. Was that driven by the same concerns that real baseball has as far as keeping fans entertained over the course of a very long season? A little mix of both. You know, baseball is a long season. You know, it's 162 games is a long time, and it takes a long time to to play those games in real life and in video games. And our research so showed us that guys didn't want to just sim all the games because if they sim the games, they felt like they weren't a part of their club and a part of the process of winning and getting stats. So that's why we created those two new features with critical situations and quick manage. It allows you to get through games in five minutes, you know, quick manage does, but you can jump in at any time, you know, to do a critical at bat or to try to get a double play. And so you're still involved. And that's the same thing with critical situations. You sim a month and we'll stop the game in late inning situations where something special is going on. So you still feel like you're involved, but you can get through a month's worth of game in one sitting. And that's what our fans was looking for, a way to be able to play a lot more games in a lot less time and we think we've done that with these two new features. So I want to ask about how you compile the the player ratings, because that's always, you know, this this is always a story when the new Madden comes out, all the NFL players get get touchy that, you know, the game thinks they were too slow or whatever. Do you have any of that? And how, how does that process work? Right. So we get all literally hundreds of stats and numbers from uh, MLB.com, you know, um, and MLB Pitch FX. And we take those numbers and we load them into our own proprietary software and it basically spits out the player ratings. And we do our ratings on a three-year weighted average. So last year's worth 50%, the year before that's 25, and the year before that is 25 as well. So there's no like finessing of like, oh, I know this guy is throwing harder now. None, none of that? Not, not necessarily. Um, if like sometimes the ratings kick out, aren't you know, 100% there. And that's normally because the guy's a rookie or he just hasn't had a lot of time. And in those special cases, you know, we'll hand massage him and do what we need to do. 
one more on that. So there's this great tradition in sports video games where the ratings just shake out in a certain way and you get Tecmo Bowl, Bo Jackson, or in the, the last MVP game, Willie Mo Pena, who was terrible, wound up being like Babe Ruth against left-handed pitching. So is there anybody like that in this game just so we know who to draft in our dynasty mode? <laughs> oh, um, I think with the base rosters, Trey Turner is going to be probably one of the most sought after guys because of his speed, his bat, and he can play multiple positions. Him, as far as pitchers are concerned, obviously, you know, Clayton Kershaw, but I mean, that's that. I mean, you know that. Yeah, we all. <laughs> so, what else? Who else is a sleeper? Anybody with really good breaks. Like, if somebody has a fastball, slider, curveball, changeup repertoire and have good uh, hits per nine and Ks per nine, they're going to be definitely a card you're going to want to pick up. And how in-depth are you going as far as using stats that have only recently become available to determine those ratings? For instance, if a guy has really good surface numbers, but the stat cast stats say he got a little lucky or he won't be able to repeat that kind of performance, are you trying to factor that in or are you just going with what the actual results were last year? Oh, yeah, we're a fan of technology and we're incorporating, you know, sabermetrics and war and, you know, stuff from StatCast more and more into the game. And that's something that came about with Player Quirks this year, which is another new feature where on one side, it's a way to just give you snapshots of what a guy's good at, which doesn't really change gameplay. It's just like, hey, this guy's good at this, so you should watch out. Other Player Quirks will affect gameplay a little, like maybe his batting average is 50 points higher at night and row games. So his attributes go up a little bit at night and row games and things like that. And I guess that's something that maybe adds some strategy to the game. Although I guess when you start breaking down performance into subsets like that, you're not actually saying he's necessarily so much better at night games on the road, but that just happened to be the case in the past. This probably isn't as pronounced in a baseball game as it is in a game with more uh, fluid action. But like, is there a team that that you've particularly enjoyed playing with? Like this is if I was just going to pick up and and play the play against the computer for nine innings, this would be the most fun team to do it with. Oh, the Cubs. Probably the Cubs. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, I suppose. Have you given any thought to the future of the show in VR or what a baseball game would look like once VR is maybe a little more refined and and has penetrated the market a little more? Do you see a lot of potential there? Yeah, most definitely. Um, You know, PlayStation VR is doing great it's breaking all of um playstation sales forecasts and it's something we we've had a few meetings on it we, we've tried a few things out um so when we get there to where we're ready to use some developmental resources to do something for vr we kind of have an idea of what we might try to do and i guess you can't share any of that now but i mean i wonder because you'd, you'd have the challenge of do you actually try to make the sport as difficult as it would be in real life? Do you want to simulate the experience of facing a 95 mile per hour fastball or do you want to make it a more manageable version of that so that actual humans can hit the ball? Indeed. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I can't really say much cause I'll give it away, but the few meetings and brainstorms we've had, we think people would enjoy what we could do with VR when the time comes. And I'm curious about the choice of Griffey as the cover boy, which, you know, obviously he is an almost universally beloved player, recently elected to the Hall of Fame, still very well known, so suitable choice. But I'm wondering how much debate about that there was, given that there are so many young, compelling players in baseball now, maybe 
more so than ever. And they might not have the name recognition of Griffey, but whoever it is, whether it's Correa or Lindor or Trout or Harper, there are just so many choices for the next Griffey kind of candidate. So was there a lot of debate, discussion about going with a retro player rather than an up-and-comer? Well, yes. And there, like, there's only one King Griffey Jr. in baseball. And, you know, he got it because he got inducted into the Hall of Fame last year. We was like, well, if we've always wanted to put him on the cover of the game and do things with him, we were like, yo, he got inducted to the Hall of Fame this year. We're going to do something. We got to do it this year. Like, this is the year to do it. And that's kind of where the conversation started. And uh, once we started talking to Junior um, and his agent, they loved the idea. And then we pitched him retro mode. He's like, you know, we just don't want to put you on the cover just to be on the cover. Like, we want to do this game mode that's a throwback to the old school, simpler days of baseball. Because it kills a few birds with one stone. It it makes sense because you're on the cover. And it introduces the, our game to a lot of fans who maybe aren't ready, you know, to dive into franchise mode. But do remember having fun playing those simple old school baseball games. Yeah, I, I think it works for that reason, just because you think of Ken Griffey Jr. and you think of, of Ken Griffey Jr. baseball. So is that, I mean, obviously this is less your problem than actually making the game, but is that influx of young talent, like, do you think that that has potential to make, I don't know, I'm going to sound really old saying this, but like make baseball appeal to teenagers, you know, kind of younger people who play a lot of video games who might be more taken with the more compelling drama of something like the NBA? Yeah, I definitely think so. Um, I definitely, and I also think it's on, you know, us and MLB to really showcase our players and their personality, you know, like we saw in the WBC. Baseball needs to show more personality from our players. Like, people love hearing stories from our players and seeing our players. So I think the more we do that and the more we let guys show themselves that they're not, you know, cardboard cutouts, the more teenagers will get involved and get excited about baseball. Can you make Ian Kinsler do bat flips in the game? <laughs> I don't. I definitely don't think that's so cool. <laughs> it is realistic, then. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess just to finish up for people who are thinking about getting back into the series, or maybe they haven't tried it yet, are there any new modes or features that we haven't touched on yet that you want to shout out? Uh, yeah. I mean, if if you have any inkling of uh, itch to scratch for you know a different type of rpg or if you're just a gamer and you're mildly interested in baseball this would definitely be the year to pick up mlb the show um, because you can start out in retro mode play that and then you can graduate on the road to the show which is an rpg allows you to pave your path we have off-field interactions that change the course of your career which is really awesome you can do franchise mode and you can play all those games real fast now with those two new features with critical situations that pave your path You know, we have that robust fantasy baseball suite called Diamond Dynasty, which is so dynamic this year. And we're going to be releasing content all throughout the year. And if you're a baseball head, you know, we got the realism. You know, we have all the stadiums in the game. We have the best ball physics that's ever been put in a baseball game before. Thousands of new animations. I think we got everything any baseball fan or gamer could want this year. And do you incorporate much feedback from players? I mean, I know you have players who help promote the game, but is that a vital part of the process? Obviously, you're not necessarily trying to make the game mimic real-life baseball exactly, but is that an important part of the process for you to have players kind of test it out and say, this looks off in some way? Yeah, it was a. It's, it's always an important process, specifically this year, you know, with, you know, pave your path and the off-the-field narrative you know we had skype calls with about seven to eight different guys to talk to them about you know the draft 
you know, what was the draft like? You know, what were you doing during the draft? How was the minor leagues? How was it getting to the MLB? And, you know, we talked to first rounders. We talked to six rounders. You know, we talked to Trey Turner, you know, Mac Williamson and Derek Law from the San Francisco Giants and a few other guys. And so those guys' stories and the information that they gave us helped us shape, pave your path in the situation that you would be put in. How in the weeds do you get with the off-field stuff? Like, is it just negotiating a contract or is it like you stiffed a kid for an autograph and now you're the local sports radio is on you? Like, do you get that deep? Right. For, for year one, our foundation year in Pavia Path, it's just interactions that you'll have with your manager and your agent. Mm-hmm. Those critical conversations, you know, those baseball conversations where, you know, you're a center fielder and the manager's like, hey, you know, I want to try you out at shortstop. How you feel about that? And then your answer could change your career. Like you could get benched if you don't want to do that or you can yeah. get traded. And so those, those are the types of things that you'll see. Hey, could I ask you uh, briefly about your own history? I was looking at your LinkedIn and it just seems like police officer to GameStop assistant manager to game designer is an unusual progression. Yeah, I would, I would agree. <laughs> I would most definitely <laughs> agree. Yeah, it, it's a little bit weird. Um, it's been a roller coaster life. I've been very lucky and uh, I've took a few chances and they have have kind of worked out for me. Yeah. Why did you decide to to leave policing and go into gaming? Uh, I kept my heart kind of I kind of fell out of love with the profession and mm-hmm. you know I think there are three professions you shouldn't do if your heart's not in it. Mm-hmm. Being a firefighter, a police officer, being a teacher. Um, mm-hmm. you know if your heart leaves that profession it's time for you to do something else. And that's kind of what happened. And after that, I kind of, you know, did some soul searching and said, you know, my next career, it's going to be something I love to do and want to do. And I was like, well, I like video games. Let's see if this will work. And so that little two, three day conversation in my head internally turned into like a six year trek. And then I finally made it in. Cool. I'm sure there are a lot of GameStop assistant managers who want to be game designers, but probably not a lot of them get to do it. All right. Well, we have to let you go so that you can release a video game, which comes out (laughs) tomorrow on PS4, MLB The Show 17. And thank you, Ramon. You can find Ramon on Twitter also at Ramon underscore Russell. He's always tweeting videos and little tidbits about the game if you want to find out more about it. So we appreciate your time. No, appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. All right. So that is it for this week. We will talk to you next Monday. Today's episode was brought to you by The Masked Man Show. It's the biggest time of the year for professional wrestling, and all this week, David Shoemaker is previewing the WrestleMania matches with a couple very special guests. You can subscribe to The Masked Man Show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. 